up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. I am Russ Steinberg. We will be joined by Greg Mitchell in just a moment as I work quickly to get him on. We are doing this now at sort of a different time than we normally do at a uh, Tuesday afternoon right here, that being because the mid-major portion of the annual ESPN College Hoops tip-off marathon just came to an end a few minutes ago where Dayton defeated Alabama, what was really an exciting game. Uh, Josh Cunningham at the end going down with an apparent injury kind of put a damper on things for Dayton, um, but that is still a win that they could look at as perhaps a resume resume builder come March, as now we are joined by Greg Mitchell, my co-editor. Greg, are you there? Yes, I'm here, Russ. How's it going? Going pretty well. How about you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Are you awake still? I am, but I also cheated and slept through the Hawaii game. What about you? I did not make it through the Hawaii game. I, don't know, I did not even make it to the first half of the San Diego State Gonzaga game, but I guess, as it, it turned out, um, that was it's not like I missed something spectacular there, at least at least a close game. Yeah, that, that wasn't a close game, but I'll tell you, Gonzaga was very, very impressive, um, perhaps even more so than we thought. They had contributions from pretty much everybody uh, in the lineup, including uh, some of their freshmen, which I don't think we really talked about when we were on last week. Uh, we've, you know, Nigel Williams-Goss and Jordan Matthews and Karnowski coming back from his injury, and they all certainly um, contributed, but it was a real team effort as Gonzaga was able to really dismantle San Diego State in a game that was never uh, never really close. Zach Collins, 15 points uh, on six of seven shooting with eight rebounds in that one for the Zags. So that, that, was, a, that was, I think, the biggest statement um, from the mid-major portion of this marathon. Yeah, and Zach Collins really is the next factor, I think. You know, if if what we're talking about is a mid-major that can make it all the way to the Final Four just because, you know, I don't know outside of a Kentucky or a Duke if there, you know, is a team in the country that has a talent like him off the bench, right? Right. Right. I mean, he he is definitely starting for most teams uh, in America. There's no question.
So you know, I so guess we have in terms of that I'm game. Sorry. If there's if there's a question I have to ask you um, after after watching it, if a Malik Pope had been in there for the outside, uh, do you think that would have made a difference? I mean, it was a blowout, so I, mean, I don't think we can sit here and say one player would have you know swayed the game. But was that was that a, a noticeable um, thing? You know, uh, because as we talked about, the uh, big men for Gonzaga just absolutely dominated that game. Yeah, yeah, they they did, and I, I think you're right in saying that one player wasn't going to sway the outcome one way or, or the other. But I think having somebody like Hope would have certainly helped um, on offense. San Diego State really was out of sorts pretty much all night. They sh- didn't even shoot thirty percent um, from the field. Had no real consistent go-to option. I know, you know. Pope isn't that guy necessarily. Yeah, uh, yeah. Would have been a, a steadier hand, and you know, obviously, defensively, maybe he could have made a difference. You know, big six ten, two twenty guy uh, going up against the Gonzaga bigs. I I could see how that might have made a difference. But Gonzaga again just had had too many weapons. Um, the guard the guards for the Bulldogs did uh, did enough on their own, even if. Their shooting numbers weren't all that impressive. I mean, William Goss was three for 12 from the field, but he still had 10 points, eight rebounds, three assists. So, you know, like, like I said, it's a team effort. I, I think Pope would have helped. I don't know how much of a difference that would have made. Again, it was a game that really was a blowout. Yeah. And, you know, just looking at the box score, that is such a San Diego State line here where they did hold Gonzaga under a point per possession. Um, so uh, it, it would appear even without their uh, defensive anchor that, you know, they're going to be able to defend this year. But, again, the offense just horrendous uh, from the Aztecs, uh, 0.69 points per possession for them. So a very San Diego State-like line. Um, I certainly think they're going to win a lot of games as they get healthier, but um, that was not a fun night for them. Uh, no, no, cer- certainly wasn't. Um if we want to back up and talk about the game that came right before that, BYU and Princeton, I think we've yep. watched that one. Um, impressive showing from BYU. It came in the West Coast Conference that may be flying a little bit under the radar given how highly Gonzaga and St. Mary's are ranked. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, you know, as the, we talked about how impressive Gonzaga was, and, you know, I thought St. Mary's on opening night was equally impressive. Um against what we think is a solid Nevada team. Um, but, yeah, BYU seems like they have the potential to have the firepower to be right there. Um, obviously, Eric Amika had, had the huge game. Um, you know, it, as it started out, it just it, it seemed like the first five, ten minutes of that game, they were really concentrating on pounding the ball into him. Um, and and he, he seemed kind of out of sorts, kind of throwing up some, some shots that um, weren't even close. But then you remember that he hasn't played in a couple of years. So that's that's understandable. And then as impressive as he was, I was even surprised by his line at the end of the night, how it, it was just astounding, you know. You, um, just, you don't see that. You don't see 26 and 18. No, no, especially not against a good team. Um, and I know Princeton isn't, right. isn't necessarily going to be successful because they have a lot of size and they're going to um, just, you know, uh, dominate the low post. But, you know, that was – that's one hell of a line right there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a, maybe a fun storyline to be following 
with BYU this year, what they call the the Lone Peak Three of Nick Emery, T.J. Hawes, and Mika. Uh, three of them high school teammates now playing together at BYU um, for the first time. And Hawes himself had a pretty good game as well. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. And Emory was 15. Uh, No wonder Lone Peak has turned itself into a high school powerhouse here. Yeah, I mean, those three help help a blow, not a, not a blowout, but just, you know, have a, a comfortable win against the team that I think we wouldn't be shocked if they were, if they were in the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, that's, uh, that couldn't have been fun for, for those high schools out in Utah. Yeah, now looking at the other side of this, at Princeton, um, certainly no shame losing at BYU by nine in a game they were competitive in, no question. But looking at this game – coupled with Yale going on the road on Sunday and knocking off Washington. Washington, not a top 25 team, but a quality opponent on the road. And Harvard losing their first game at Stanford. Is is the Ivy, were we too quick to count out Yale in this Ivy race? And is Princeton still the team to beat there? You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, I certainly think that that, that uh, win for Yale was just so under the radar. I mean, I came out of nowhere, right? I mean, I don't even think, as we as we discussed last week, that was a game that, uh, you know, even popped up during our discussion on the podcast. Um, and then all of a sudden, there they are knocking off Washington. Um, you know, that it, it's just such a head-scratcher because they lost so much, and then they lose a guy like, um, you know, uh, okay, uh, Mason just a few days before. Um, a team that could put together a performance like that is one I'd be scared of. Certainly. Absolutely. And, you know, that's not to sell Princeton short or, or Harvard, for that matter, based on one game against a quality opponent. I will say I liked um, from Princeton, I really liked Devin Kennedy, 18 points, 4 of 10, shooting from three. I thought he had a really nice game. And four players in double figures, it always helps when you can have a little bit of balance um, yeah. if you're scoring. In a game that was really a, a fast-paced, game. It was one where you would expect guys who played 34, 35 minutes like uh, Stephen Cook and Spencer Wise did where maybe they would slow down a little bit. It was a very, it was a well-played game from start to finish. It was, it was. And I'm not, I'm not smart enough certainly to know if all the three-point looks Princeton had in the first half were by design from, from a BYU, a, a, a BYU defense. Um, I would think not because they are uh, – Princeton is such a good three-point shooting team. Um, but, you know, a lot of those looks that they missed were open looks, right? So, you know, you, uh, going forward you would have to think that those are going to fall, and I think they're going to have that high-potent offense that everyone assumes they will. And, you know, and also, as you said, uh, uh, Hannity, he's – you know only a sophomore, and if that team has a star in the making, I, I would say it's him. I know a Caruso is good, Hans a brace, um, a little bit rusty, even though I think his final line was, uh, let's see here, 4 of 11. That's not bad, um, but, you know, I think he was a little bit rusty. Um, and, again, he's a guy who missed the entire year last year with a knee injury. Um, so there's a lot of potential with them, certainly. Uh, yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. Now, I, I think we both uh, didn't make it 
obviously, through the Pacific game or the Hawaii game. We'll just let you know Pacific uh, won their game. Uh, Damon Sotomayor picked up his first win as a head coach. Hawaii knocked off Florida Atlantic 64-63. It was actually a uh, pretty nice comeback in the final second for them. I woke up um, in time to catch the second half of Hartford and Niagara. Did you see that one? I did not. I did not. Um, and if I if I can go back real quick on that Pacific game, um, is that oh, yeah, sure. for a Green Bay? Is that something that concerns you with a Green Bay? I know it was on the road. I know it was at a very strange hour for a bunch of guys from Wisconsin. Um, a lot of people have them as as a favorites in the Horizon League. Um, Palpo, I haven't watched yet. I've read all the uh, coverage that we've had on them on the site, um, but you know it doesn't seem like things have gone that smoothly for them, even though they haven't lost yet. Um, and then Oakland, as we know um, from all of our our friends um, who are Oakland fans on the Twitter, um, <laughs> yeah, we know that, that they're a team. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the, I think they've been impressive thus far with a couple wins over uh, 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 MAC teams. Um, I mean, is that a concern that a Green Bay went to on the road, even though it was on the road, but they lost to a Pacific team that um, isn't that highly regarded at this point? Uh, it, it definitely raises some eyebrows. I mean, Green Bay was up 27-26 at the half and then just got blitzed in the second half, 50-31. to 31. Yeah. Uh, Lost by 18. Just looking at the numbers, again, neither of us was awake to see it. Um, yeah. Because I just couldn't stay up. Um, but Green Bay shot 5 of 22 from 3. That's a little alarming. Not necessarily because they only shot 22%, but if you're going to only shoot 22%, maybe you shouldn't be taking 22 three-point attempts. So that's, no, absolutely. Something, that's something I noticed. And you know what? The, the Horizon League, that's a good conference. It's not like we're talking yeah. about you know Green Bay going home and playing in the NEC here. They've got two quality exactly. teams in Valpo and Oakland to deal with. So they are going to need to turn that around. Now, if you just give me – one second. Let me pull up their schedule and see what's coming up here. Um, they play Murray State on Saturday. That might be. A and they had a nice win um, on Friday night against Illinois State. Yeah, it's it, 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 an Illinois State team that a lot of people think to go to the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be a test for them. They also get Kansas State. They get a Toledo team that I got to see in person. Uh, over the weekend against St. Joe's that I thought was pretty good. Uh, okay. Also games against Wisconsin and Belmont. So Green Bay will, you know, it, it doesn't get much easier for them going forward. So it'll be interesting to see if they can turn this around. I say turn this around with only one game, but if they could rebound at least. Sure, sure. It just, you know, certainly hops off the page um, because you'd expect a Horizon League favorite to, even on the road, um, put up a better fight against. And, again, I know it was kind of a, just a, just a, a, a poor half that uh, did them in. But, um, you know, I, I, I think the optics of a Horizon League upper echelon team falling on the road to what a lot of people think will be a team at the bottom of the WCC is um, – a bit shocking, but again, we have to remember that this was a Midwest team on the West Coast, you know, in the middle of the night. So certainly have some qualifications there that are not going to pop up again on their schedule. 
Right. Right. Now, if we want to go forward, I don't have a whole lot to say about the Hartford-Niagara game. It was, I thought it was pretty exciting. At the end, the way Niagara fought to get back into it, forced overtime. Nice job by Hartford staying with it in the overtime period to actually win. Uh, Niagara now with the loss, 0-3. I have to wonder, is the uh, seat heating up under head coach Chris Casey? Single-digit wins each of the last three years and an 0-3 start to this season, just playing a Hartford team that they were going to pick up an early win. That probably would have been it. Um, Yeah, yeah. Maybe not good news for him, especially considering, again, the league that Niagara plays in is also a pretty good one in the MAC. Uh, it might be a long year, another long year ahead for them. And as we go through their schedule here quickly, that was certainly, as you mentioned, that was that was the best shot at a win here early on. Um, LIU, uh, Brooklyn, at the end of December would, at least according to the Ken Palm ratings, be the next team they would play, which would be in their area. Um, of course, anything can happen, but that's certainly a uh, discouraging loss for them, really. You know, as a uh, as a UConn fan myself, I want to keep saying, let's not write any team off after the first weekend. <laughs> um, but it, it's not looking good for Niagara after a loss to Hartford. Yeah, yeah. Um, after... That game ended. We went to uh, Manhattan, where Manhattan and Winthrop played a game that, on one hand, was entertaining at times. On another hand, with how many whistles there were in that game, it was two and a half hours. Winthrop won 94 to 81. Uh-huh. Winthrop, a team out of the Big South that it seems like is in the conference championship game every year, chance to go to the tournament every year. I'm not sure, to be honest with you, what good this game really did for them other than a chance to get on national TV. And I just say that because yeah. the Big South is a one-bid league. They're going up to Manhattan to play at, what time is the game? It was 8.45 in the morning. It's not you're not looking at resume builders right now. It's not a buy game, I don't think. Uh, not sure what good it did them, but hey, they, they won the game, and now they have Florida State and Illinois coming up next. So that you know, that game, it, it was what it was in Manhattan. It was a tough loss for them, dropping them to 0-2 after they had a rough season last year in Manhattan. You know, one of those teams that you always figure is in the conversation in the MAC. Um, off to off to another rough start, and they'll have a fun game against Hofstra at home on Friday. A good New York City or New York City area rivalry game to look forward to there. Yeah. Let's see. After that one with Stephen F. Austin and Longwood, I know you followed that one pretty closely. I think we were both interested to see what Stephen F. Austin would look like out of the gate. Uh, What did you take away uh, from that game? I mean, it was an ugly game, certainly. Um, 
And I think you got the sense, at least I did watching on TV, that the team and the crowd were kind of shocked that Longwood had made that a comeback in the second half because uh, Stephen F. Austin had stretched the lead out to nine. Um, it, it didn't seem like, like uh, Longwood could hold on to the ball. I mean, it, at that point, it seemed like the game was going to be over, and that was with about, you know, um, 11, 12 minutes left. And then they go on a – I believe it was a 15-4 to 4 run, and they have a lead, and then the game's up back and forth then until until – the final minute, um, certainly not what you would have come to expect or what you have come to expect from them the past few years, but we know Brad Underwood isn't there. We know Thomas Walkup's not there anymore. Um, obviously, I think you throw out the results against Kentucky on Friday night that there's not a team in, in, in the world that, that's, you know, or there are a few teams that are going to um, head into Rupp on opening night and win. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, uh, uh, TJ Holyfield had a nice game. He scored uh, 21 points and he seemed like the kind of guy in a conference like the Southland where you can throw the ball to him down low um, and he'll be able to make a play. So I think he's going to be a really good uh, player. Um, Larry Gilmore, I think I got his, his name right, as his uh, first name right. He's the uh, Creighton transfer. Um, he played well against Kentucky. He did not play well in this game. He, he missed a lot of shots. Uh, he's certainly a good player um, that, that should should help them out as well. You know, I, I think that the Southland favors uh, just because, you know, that, that program has momentum and still has some quality players. But, I mean, that would have been a huge loss, right? I mean, huge. Oh, it's absolutely. I mean, I, other than the D2 schools or D3 schools that Stephen F. Austin has on their schedule, Longwood is probably the worst D1, at least in the yeah. non-conference. So losing that yeah. game at home on national TV would have been a real – it would have been a gut punch. Um, and the winning streak snap, hey, you know, uh, yeah. uh, uh, Keller's home debut, it just that that would not have – and I know we talked about this last week as to where that program is headed um, now that they've lost such such pivotal figures. Um, that would not have been a good start. So uh, they avoided it. And then, you know, and I, I, I think it is, it is encouraging or it should be encouraging for SFA fans that – you know, in the final minute, they did lock down on defense. They threw a zone out there that just completely confused Longwood. Um, so, in a, a close game, it was the Lancers that kind of fell apart. And, um, you know, SFA did not. So, I think that that certainly, you know, suggests that they they still do have that uh, DNA in them, um, that, that they can be a successful team. Yeah, and e- even if, you know, the, the final score wasn't quite as, lopsided as maybe people would have hoped for Stephen F. Austin. I think it's probably good for a team like that to get tested in a close game situation early on. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And to respond the way that they did. And you know what? It's, it's a win. You know, wins all count the same, whether it's by one point or a hundred points. It's the same It's the same result. And they get to uh, even up their record to keep that home streak alive. And, you know, looking up and down their roster right now, you know, Dallas Cameron's a senior. Other than that, they're all freshmen, sophomore, and juniors. This, this is the core that's going to be together this year and next. And if they can continue to improve, they're challenging themselves in the non-conference, uh, continue to take care of business in the Southland. It, this could be a program, as Kyle Keller says, that he wants to do that, you know, can stay a factor for a while. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, I kind of expect, and I think a lot of people, I'm sure ESPN expected, this is just going to be, you know, like a, a block party for them, right? Just This is just a fun event. 
early in the morning. Yeah. Um, let's celebrate the program. But you know, it it was not. But again, as we as, as we discussed with, with a Winthrop, like they they are probably going to make the NCAA tournament. They're not going to be an at large if they make it. They're going to have to win their tournament. So as you mentioned, if this is a win that helps them in their development, um, you know, it, it does not matter that it, it was an ugly win against a team that. We'll probably not have a great season. If it can help in the long run, then, then that's a positive. And it was not Larry; it was Leon Gilmore. So I will I will submit that as a correction. So I got I got the first initial <laughs> right. So I'll I'll give myself some credit there. And he is a Creighton transfer. So I don't know. I'm batting I'm batting one for three here. <laughs> uh, hey, one for three. Those are that's an MVP batting average. That's well, yeah. <laughs> um, so. I, th- I think we're, we're both maybe on wait-and-see mode with Stephen F. Austin to see how good they are this year. Sure. Po- positives and negatives to take out of this one. How about the game that just ended a few minutes ago, Dayton and Alabama? Uh, Dayton had to fight the entire way, had to come back, take that lead with about seven minutes to go, and hold on to beat an Alabama team that I think is – better than people assume they were sure. going to be this year. Sure, sure. And I, I think that was, at least in, in terms of where the roster is right now for Dayton, that was, you know, a, a kind of a, a hard matchup just because, and I didn't get to watch the game. I was following it, so I'll defer to you um, on what actually happened. But, you know, Jimmy Taylor is a, is a force down low. Uh, Dante Hall is also, you know, a very talented post player, and we know the Flyers you know, have some limitations in their front court. So, you know, I think that that certainly is an impressive win. And, I, you know, and um, this is a question I want to ask you is, how concerned are you about a Josh Cunningham? Because I, I saw the highlight. That was a scary call. Yeah, it, it was. And if if you didn't see the play, and anyone listening here, um, Dayton was up by five with about 15 seconds to go. Alabama comes down the court. Banks in an off-balance three to cut it to two. Dayton inbounds the ball, gets it to Cunningham on a fast break, and he goes up for what we assume is going to be the exclamation point dunk to seal the game, gets hit hard, goes down really hard, suffers an apparent leg injury, has to be carried off the court. This is with only you know a couple seconds left in the game after he had just really sealed the win with that dunk, a very scary moment. I've been looking as, you know, we've been talking here to see if there's any word yet on the extent of his injury. I think we both hope that it's not as bad as it looked. But it was one, you know, I mean, again, he, he physically carried off of the court. Mm. Uh, it, it did not look good. And if he is out for any extended period of time, um, that could be a real, it could be a real problem for a Dayton team that I think we both agreed could could potentially win the Atlantic Ten. Absolutely, no, they cannot afford to lose him. Um, he is kind of the the one piece of scoring talent that they have in their front court. Um, that's at least you know somewhat established. I know they have some young players. Um, that would be that would certainly be a a huge, huge loss um, for a team that picked up a quality win already, um, and just such an I just I don't I don't know what the word is. is that ironic? Is it um, just the way it happened? Is just such a you know 
I don't even know what the word for it is. It's such a such a strange way for that to happen. Is you you know you seal the game, you have an awesome play, and then boom, um, there goes your knee potentially. So and that's not to assume that that's what happened. Um, these things can can sometimes look ugly, and then and then you know he'd only be out for a few days. But and and you know we certainly hope that's that's the case because this and as you mentioned, this team does have a, a very high ceiling. And they have a you know a, yeah. a, a, a huge game coming up against against St. Mary's, right? I, I believe that's their next game. Right. Yeah, it, it is, and that's. I think it's on Friday, Friday or Saturday. It's on Saturday against St. Mary's okay. at home. I mean, that's that's a huge, huge test, and I think it's an opportunity for a statement game for both teams. And if Cunningham can't play, that's going to be a problem. Now, I should also note if Cunningham is out for an extended period of time, and you're a Dayton fan, and you're looking for a little bit of hope. Um, Cunningham only played 15 minutes in this game. He had uh, some foul trouble in the first half, still scored 12 points. Uh, but the 6'7 sophomore, Ryan, Ryan Mikesell, um stepped up, had a pretty good game himself, 12.5 rebounds in 25 minutes. It, you know, maybe more of a burden might fall on him um, if, if needed. And in, in one game, I, I think he played pretty well. Maybe that's where Dayton ends up looking for some front court contributions. Obviously, there are no questions about their back court. I think you could put Charles Cook and Scucci Smith up against just about anyone in the country, and they'd hold their own. Um, but maybe Mike would be – maybe he is the next option in the front court. I'm not sure. To be honest, I haven't watched Dayton enough. Um, to get a good feel for them just yet. I'm definitely looking forward to that game against St. Mary's on Saturday. Um, Hopefully I'll learn a little bit more about them then, but those are just my quick first reactions. Yeah, and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but their schedule is not the strongest. Obviously that game on Saturday is a huge and a huge opportunity at a statement win, but then after that, you know, it's um, on a neutral court against a Northwestern, at home against uh, Vanderbilt, um, and that's about it on the non-conference. Uh, there is a, a game against and this is a team that has not played in the marathon, but that I've been impressed with uh, so far, East Tennessee State, which has blown out another A-10 team at, uh, at home for them, and then um, went yep. on the road and uh, uh, blew, uh, scored 107 points, I think it was, against uh, Detroit. Um, that's another thing that made our, our friends from Oakland very happy last night um, <laughs> on, on, on the Twitter um, so, you know, I think that, I think that could be a, a, a quietly, uh, fun game, but other than that, there's not, there's not much, uh, uh, you know, high end quality on their non-conference. So I don't know if that means that that, that puts a lot more weight on the St. Mary's game, uh, for, for them to win. Um, you know, I think if you have, if they have the A-10 year, we think they're going to have, even if, even if they don't win, that's still a tournament, uh, you know, a resume right there. But, you know, if if it comes down to they're on the bubble, which I don't expect they will be, but they might be with this injury, um, you know, this game against St. Mary's could become extremely important. Yeah, and while, while we were talking, Andy Capps from ESPN um, had a note from the post-game presser, Archie Miller for Dayton, the head coach, saying Josh Cunningham will be out for – an extended period of time. Mm, Don't know exactly what that means, but certainly it's 
not good. Hopefully they could get him back sometime this year. But yeah. I have no idea. Um, and that's also, in, I mean, they're already with a, a Kendall Pollard. Um, yeah, who, and I, I was about to say, uh, mm-hmm. R.J. Miller also said that Kendall Pollard probably won't return until next week in the uh, Wooden Legacy tournament. So they're probably without him against St. Mary's as well. Yeah, and that's and that's um that's certainly a scary one. You you really feel for him because you know because you know he I, I believe he's a senior, right? Isn't he? I'm, I'm pretty sure on that. Um, you know, and he had wrist surgery and I believe knee surgery over the over the summer, and he was supposed to be a pack of practice a few months ago, and it just you know I don't he didn't play on the overseas uh, trip, um, and then it you know he just has not been able to come back. So you know that's certainly concerning is that continues to linger um and now it's even more now they need him on the court even uh, more than ever um you know i guess it's just kind of hard not to mention that with all this that um obviously the uh, tragic passing of steve uh, steve uh, McElvain over the summer um had that not happened and, and that obviously is far beyond a, a basketball conversation but um certainly sad because he would have been a part of this as well yeah um absolutely no, I know there's not much to say. I mean, as, as you said, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it, that goes beyond the scope of basketball, but if you're talking yep. about it strictly from a basketball standpoint, mm-hmm. um, it's been a lot of tough breaks lately for Dayton. Yep. Um, yep. But, you know, to, again, to their credit, they won their first two games. They blew out Austin P at home, beat Alabama again today. I think even without Pollard and without – Cunningham, I still think they have a pretty good shot at home against St. Mary's. They have a real home court advantage at the uh, Arena. That's a very tough place to play. Um, and you know what? If they lose that game without those two guys, it's not the end of the world either. Um, no, it's not, no, absolutely it's not. certainly not a loss that's going to keep them out of the tournament, especially down two guys, and they have a chance to go play in a major tournament um, next week and pick up some quality wins there anyway. Yeah. Yeah. A lot so, of game conversation, which is good because I know that was your team you picked last week, right? <laughs> it, it, we it was. About, we talked about Final Four. Yeah. Final Four. Only potential. because you picked. Only because <laughs> you picked Gonzaga. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, and I. Uh, for the record. For the record. On the on Friday on opening day, I tweeted my preseason final four, and it was Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, and Gonzaga. So nice. I'm still on the Gonzaga the money wagon, even more so. Yeah, yeah. even more so yeah. after um, after last night. And you know what? If uh, if Dayton can get healthy, I I'm certainly not ready to give up on them yet either. No, absolutely. I think those are certainly you're you're not stupid if you like either of those teams. I, that's that's, <laughs> that's for sure. And just you know, as an aside, yeah. I'm just really excited for this West Coast Conference race because that's those are three three very good teams at the top there. I think BYU just a little bit under uh, the first two, um, but uh, that should be exciting this year. Yeah, and, and and the fun thing about that is that even though BYU might be that clear third best team. Um, it's they're still a heck of a lot of fun to watch. They still yep. have some really talented players. We just talked about uh Lone Peak 
three. Um, they're still going to put up a lot of points. And just with the way that they play, it would not surprise me at all if they pulled off a couple of upset wins in that conference and really shook things up. Um, no, absolutely. And, you know, in a, in a West Coast Conference tournament and a single elimination tournament where anything could happen, I don't think either of us would be shocked if they swoop in and steal the auto bid. It could happen. No, yeah, absolutely not. And I think not an objective stat at all, but just watching them last night, I think Hawes and Emery are going to be the backcourt in America that frustrates or annoys opponents the most just because they both make really hard-to-make shots, right, um, run around the floor. It's just that, that's if, – if they were playing my team, that is a backcourt I would get very annoyed of. And they're really good and it's because they're really good and they're exciting. Right, right. So we've covered – just about everything that happened in the marathon today. I have to ask you, from Friday night when things tipped off through today, give me one or two things um, outside the scope of the marathon that caught your eye this weekend. Well, Put certainly the, the game. Yeah, no, this is um, – the spotlight is hot. Um, <laughs> you know, certainly I wrote about the uh, Wichita State-Long Beach State game on Sunday night. Yep. Um, so that's an easy thing to talk about. Uh, the score was a shocker because um, the shockers won by a lot, a lot more than, uh, than we expected. Um, you know, I think Wichita State is going to be fine, and I think a lot of it is obviously because they are a talented team. They don't have the top-end talent, obviously, without Ron Baker and Fred Van Vliet, but they're deep, and you can tell that they're deep. Um, Deshaun Smith emerging um, as a point guard off the bench behind uh, behind uh, Landry Shamit and uh, Connor Frankamp is is very important because you know I he just gives you the feel right now, essentially from the Long Beach State game only that you know he 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 can be a playmaker, and that team has a lot of quality front court depth, so you know they're starting to show that they also have that depth in the backcourt. Um, I don't know that the Long Beach State game was I don't think the score indicates. How how high the ceiling for the Shockers can be. I mean, it was an impressive game. Um, Long Beach did just they, they did not make any shots. And I know they're a talented team. Um, I know they're probably going to win the the uh, they're going to be in contention for the uh, Big West if nothing else. Um, but I I think that was more on a poor performance by Long Beach State than it was just this you know force of will by Wichita State. That being said, um, I think we've seen and this is another thing that has kind of stood up. NBC did not have a good weekend. Illinois State, I know Murray State's a good team, but from where we have them and our preseason expectations, they should have probably won that game, even though Murray State's probably one of the better teams in the Ohio Valley Conference. Um, so my concern for Wichita State is I don't know if the NBC will present enough of a challenge to prepare them. If they are, if they do have a ceiling, a lot of people think they do. I don't know that they're in the right league. I don't know if the league they're in right now will do a good job preparing them for success in March. I think they're going to get a lot of wins. I think they're going to run away with the MDC. But, um, you know, from, from you know, you would, you would think that a Greg Marshall is probably hoping a team, it might be Missouri State, um, it might be Loyola. I know they've had a good, I know they have a good opening weekend. You know, he might be hoping one of those teams really does emerge the real deal so, so they can have a challenge in that league. Yeah. Absolutely. And in, in the meantime, you know, Control, control what you can, and win your games yep. out of conference. I guess, yeah. Yep. And I will, yeah. I will give you a lot of uh, credit for the uh, tweet you had um, 
you know, a Wichita State saying, oh, well, that's a cute in, in a thing in the road <laughs> because that is a tweak that never dies because it's like four days old now yeah. or whatever. No, not four days, but a few days old, and it keeps keeps popping up on the mentions. People keep liking it. Um, so you I know, know we talked about that. I think State's Twitter account retweeted it. Oh, is that why? Okay. Because it just it yeah, keeps, so like, it keeps was popping up. All so. of their fans. Yeah. I give you a big thumbs up on that on that tweet, um, and then I would you know um, I think I turn the question around on you then in, in, in terms of your impressions um, non marathon impressions after the opening um, few days here. I I think you you hit the the serious points. I've got a fun one. Um, I'm going to turn my attention to the SoCon and look at the Citadel, which scored 146 yeah. points on Johnson University. I did a quick write-up on that with some of the funny staff. I, I should say the Citadel is one of those schools that runs um, something very close to what they call the system, which is where they're constantly running, constantly pressing, constantly subbing guys in and out, and you end up with lopsided scores like this, especially when you play a non-NCAA-affiliated school like Johnson University is. Um, just If you didn't see the article that I wrote, um, I'm just going to read off some stats to you because I think they're amazing. Um, first of all, they won 146 to 84. So they gave up 84 points and still won by 60, which <laughs> in itself is impressive. Yeah, um, all players, yeah, all 15 players to appear in the game for the Citadel scored. Johnson University turned the ball over 39 times. The Citadel took 106 shots, 50 of them from three. Um, a couple of stat lines from their players that I thought were hilarious. Uh, Preston Parks had five points on one of ten shooting with ten assists, eight steals, and six turnovers. Uh, Brian White had 18 points, nine rebounds, four steals, two assists, and four fouls, all in 16 minutes. And I hope I can get this name at least close to right. Zane Najdawi played 18 minutes, scored 26 points, 10 rebounds, two steals, two blocks, made 10 of 11 free throws. Again, all in 18 minutes. So a whole lot of fun there, and I'll, I'm going to plug them right now. They play at 7 o'clock Eastern tonight. It's an ESPN3 game. They're playing at NAIA school in McConnell. Uh, <laughs> so I think you're going to expect another fun game like that. Um, they're going to get their share of criticism, of course, for from A, people who just don't like their style of play and think it's ruining the purity of the game or whatever. Two, from people who think a game like this does you no good, scheduling a team you're obviously a lot better than in a game against a non-Division one opponent, so it's not going to help you really in any way. And I think you could make both of those arguments very well. My counter to that is I want to see them score 200 points, and I'm going to watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's why college basketball is fun because every team has an identity, right? So that, yeah, that is, that's fun. And um, going through their Ken Palm page here, they are projected here to lose. Um, they play three power three power conference schools uh, the rest of the way. In each of those those games, they are projected to lose with the opposition scoring over 100 points. 
So that you know, wow. that, that just shows you. And, and this game against Iowa State to have um, on November twentieth, uh, that's another team that likes to you know within reason uh, go up and down the court. So that could be a fun one too. That probably won't um, turn out so well for them, but uh, could be fun nonetheless. Absolutely. And you know what? I I don't think they can keep up with Iowa State, but I'd love to see them try. And they will. Be and, they, and they will try. A lot of will try. Yeah. So just remember, while everyone is watching the Champions Classic tonight, two great games of some blue blood programs, I'm gonna have ESPN three on, and I'm gonna watch the Citadel run up the score on an NAIA school. <laughs> and that's a true mid. So judge me all you want. Fan right there. <laughs> Um, so I know you're going to have to jump off and I think we're running out of time here anyway, before we go, any last thoughts, anything that, uh, that comes to mind? Um, you know, um, you would have hoped that the games last night with Princeton, BYU and Gonzaga, San Diego State were a little bit closer, um, because those were kind of marquee games when a lot of the uh, country was awake still. But um, you had 24 hours straight of basketball, so I, I don't think you can you can complain really. You know. Yeah, I'm I'm with you 100. Um, percent As we said in the last uh, the last time we did this, we are going to try to keep this consistent, doing one of these every week. We will soon start to get guests on the show, so you're not just listening to us. Uh, we have a roster of talented writers. To, want to come on and share their thoughts. Um, Also, we'll try to get some coaches from some of the programs that we've been talking about, maybe a player or two if we can. Um, So don't worry. You won't have to only listen to our voices going forward. We'll hopefully get that going really soon. So with that, I think we will step aside now for Greg Mitchell, I am Russ Steinberg. Thank you so much for listening to the Mid-Major Badness podcast. I hope you enjoyed the the uh, tip-off marathon. I hope you enjoyed listening to us babble for a little bit. Uh, thank you so much. Keep reading the site, and we will talk to you again soon. <laughs>